0: This episode of The Clear Out was recorded on the 18th of July 2023 at home in Wicklow. And it is an episode dedicated to the idea of orientation and bearings, landmarks, the things, the people, the beliefs that help us position ourselves in life in the world that help us position ourselves within ourselves. And I was inspired by my cat that has dementia and a particular incident that played out in Hashtag Blessed where where I live and where I record the podcast and just got me thinking about the the struggle to keep our heads the struggle to keep our faith when the things that are familiar to us start falling away and start falling apart so that's that's what i'm talking about that's what i'm talking about it's it's philosophical it's psychological it's spiritual it's emotional it is what it is and In the mix, I cite some people like the writer, Ivo Andrich, like the psychologist, Eric Fromm, like the actress and activist and trade unionist, Fran Drescher. Um, I'm sure there's somebody else I referred. to. Oh, I also, I also discuss High Noon. Isn't it Fred Zinneman who directed that in the 50s with Gary Cooper and Grace Kelly? Uh, a young lloyd bridges is in there also no lloyd yes lloyd yeah the father not the not the brother um so that's that's in there that's in there in the mix as well and i'm i'm, I'm discussing high noon in a as a sort of a, a depression <laughs> a depression or anxiety metaphor so you can you can see what you make of that when you get to it okay that's what's coming up I hope you enjoyed what you here. I will see you around the corner. Cheers. Hi, my name is Dara Clear and you're listening to The Clear Out. You're very welcome. You're very welcome indeed. I'm glad you've chosen to spend some time here with me. And I, I hope you're going to enjoy the little journey that we're about to embark upon. Now, what's on the agenda? I'm not entirely sure, but it has something to do with orientation. <laughs> and I don't think I mean sexual orientation, although I may be able to. I mean, yeah, I, I, I could make that connection, uh, should I wish. Um, it's not irrelevant, it's not not germane to the conversation but I'm probably thinking more as is so often the case here on the clear out, I'm thinking in more existential terms. I remember, and, th- and this uh, you know I'm about to reveal that this is a recurring theme in my, my thinking and in my public offerings and in my public reflections. A ten about ten and a half years ago when I started theClearout dot my blog, uh where I wrote short essays, think pieces, um personal testimony about broadly speaking, emotional and psychological well being. The first piece I wrote was titled, How Did I Get Here? And ultimately it was an essay about, about orientation, about where you find yourself at any given moment in life and what brought you to that place and how you feel about it or what you think about it. And The conclusion in that piece, which represents my, you know, which which represents a sort of a personal philosophy that I haven't ever strayed too far from, is ultimately be accepting of yourself at any given moment in time. Forgive yourself for your perceived failures and don't ask too much of yourself. Um, at a given time um, and I suppose the, the the extrapolation of that thinking is it ends up being a sort of a, a pin to to mediocrity <laughs> and I mean I always laugh when I say that because it does at, at first glance it it makes me sound pathologically unambitious and almost apathetic Uh, and I don't believe that is the case I don't believe that is the case and I hope if you've spent some time here before that that isn't the conclusion you've come to Um, I mean first and foremost I mean it takes it takes more than apathy to produce this effort (laughs) this podcast once a week as I have done for the last couple of years Um, it does take a certain amount of discipline and application and energetic negotiation Um, and it it requires the cultivation of a certain muscle um, which is both creative, reflective, intellectual, emotional, communicative obviously. Um, Yeah. So In any case, this idea of I think, but I think when I say mediocrity, mediocrity has a very I suppose it has a very negative connotation. You hear that word, "Eh, mediocre? Eh." it's a bit nothing. It's not one thing nor the other. It's um, something very indistinguishable and bland and beige. To use a popular popular uh, word in that area. Uh, but I suppose when I talk about mediocrity um, I think what I'm trying to articulate is that sense of it's okay just to be who you are where you are uh, to be what you are it doesn't you don't have to be tethered to a shooting star or a rocket or something stratospheric. You can be completely okay and content doing the best you can at any given time. Um, And to be, as I say, to be accepting of, of where you've landed of where you've arrived and to accept that circumstances and choices and a lot of things you can't control have brought you to the place you find yourself now Um, and I mean I I think that's ultimately what I'm probably going to end up... um, poking around today is this again the 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 desire for order and control which presents us with this this illusion of of power and agency and stability um and sort of authorship of our lives and of our of our story I suppose Um, I mean I see that word story getting bandied around I've seen it bandied around in certain movies Um, The Greatest Showman comes to mind and again I also come across the sudden um, ubiquity of the word storyteller so anyone who's working in in you know in the arts or theatre making, movie making, suddenly they're referring to themselves as storytellers. Um it's a little bit of a I don't know, it's a bit nebulous. I'm not sure uh, about the the accuracy. It's it's I think it's just a, it's it's just a an idea or a concept that's become trendy and people really like it. And like a lot of things, like the, you know, language vomits itself up um when suddenly it gains uh, a certain cachet um in 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 popular culture and wellness wellness speak and wellness language is very much like that i mean lots of people you'll hear talking about holding the space um you know that kind of thing um you know Jonah Hill has found himself in very hot water. The actor Jonah Hill has found himself in very hot water in the last couple of weeks because an ex-girlfriend published some texts that he had sent her that portrayed him in a very poor light, I suppose, Um, because fundamentally they, they made him sound extremely controlling. Um... Maybe that's it. Maybe that looked at, maybe that's it. I mean you could probably extrapolate more if you wanted to depict him as being chauvinistic or sexist because there did feel like um, an old school um, unreconstructed male thinking around it, um, not wanting his woman to be with other men and to be, you know, think about how she's presenting herself to the world. And, um, people went to town on him because he was presenting it, uh, kind of couched in therapy terms, therapeutic language, um, talking about boundaries and things like that. And it's, um, it's become a bit of a, a lightning rod, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a story that's been bumped around quite a bit over the last week or two um, dis- discussing the kind of ubiquity of this this language and how it becomes meaningless in the mouths of, of those who are not professional um, but that language has entered the, the lexicon and I don't know, I don't know what, I mean what can you do this is what language does this is what language does and like anything that is overused or used in a conflated way or used in a way to rather with true intentionality but more as a means of signaling Status or perhaps signaling power, are being used to to attack or to defend or to manipulate or to to mislead or misguide, deflect. Um, then these terms, you know, in, in whatever context they be, they can become quite meaningless, and you know they 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 just become clichés and a cliché i mean how typically has a kernel of truth something that we all recognize but when it's overused it it loses its its impact and i think the the loss the loss always with these things is authenticity um and you lose you lose that palpable sense of this is real um and i think and no offense to jonah hill i don't know i don't know the guy at all i've, I've admired his acting in, in quite a few movies um he's kind of done a very good job of transforming himself from um, a kind of a smart-ass comic actor to very credible, dramatic actor. And uh, he also put out a nice documentary earlier this year or late last year about his therapist um, called Utz. Isn't that it? Utz? Was that right? UTZ? Um, which was sort of a portrait biopic of his therapist and also... Um, a bit of a a revelation about his own therapy journey and I thought it was quite interesting and I thought his therapist was interesting and I didn't I didn't have any particularly strong sense that Jonah Hill had um gone past the need for more therapy uh I felt he was very enthusiastic about the process he'd been exposed to and really very enthusiastic about the therapist in question but um he seemed like a very un... um what i mean i'm not saying this with any sort of disparagement or nastiness or snark but i just felt i was still looking at a young man with um quite a lot of work to do on himself um because there was something about the way he was presenting himself and presenting his, you know, the process he'd been through, that was a bit, it was a bit jazz hands. It was a bit like, hey, look at this, you know, let me distract you from my real wound or my real pain or my real trauma or brokenness or whatever by telling you how amazing this therapist is. Um, and I just... I I I think it was still you know w- worth watching but um yeah I, I found myself kind of going okay Jonah Jonah has a lot more work to do um but I was going to say regarding those texts I mean there's a couple of things his his ex-girlfriend I think is a is a surfer I mean I I just I heard one podcast talk about it I was listening to the guys on higher learning talk about it and I read one or two articles About it, making this this point about the the misuse or misunderstanding or um, wrong-headed deployment of the language of therapy, um, or the misguided deployment of that language. Uh, But I did kind of find myself thinking, okay, you know, this is just another hollywood celebrity and when we start looking at hollywood celebrities to sort of guide us we're in trouble um because they're living in well la la land (laughs) they're they're, you know it's it's just a crazy world out there isn't it is is there anything that's giving you the impression that that's not the case and people just fall into the um the vortex And um, yeah I mean let them on and I admire a lot of people I mean you know as you you know if you're a regular listener I'm a huge fan of movies and um, I've been a great consumer of Hollywood product over my lifetime and you know every generation of actors that have come out of there I've been a fan of different ones but um, there have been very few among them that I've thought I need to listen to this person to make decisions about my life, or I need to look at that person as the barometer of our times. Um, no, I mean you're talking about people who are living in a bubble, and they are quite crazy. And um, I, I shouldn't say crazy. I mean, I, 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 and I've spoken about this before using crazy in that kind of generic way it's a bit irresponsible but I think was it last week or the week before I was talking about kind of a distortion last week I was talking about the the, the RTE uh, money scandal that's been playing out here over the last few weeks and I was talking about distorted perceptions and distorted expectations and a distorted sense of entitlement I, I think that's you know I think it's safe to say that that's sort of prevalent in, in Hollywood circles. If you're someone who's pretty close to the top of the tree and very current, there's a distortion. And often the actors who seem to retain their sanity and their perspective have stepped away or never really stepped in. Um, my good friend Harrison Ford comes to mind. <laughs> Although, would you believe I was talking to someone very recently? And that person may be listening to this episode of the podcast, and she revealed uh that she wasn't a Harrison Ford fan that he kind of irritated her or bothered her and i was i was I was horrified <laughs> um i've never come across that I mean, I understand people who go Harrison Ford not that interesting, especially when you're looking at a lot of his work uh, from the 90s on, um, it wasn't the richest time of his career. And it got progressively less interesting as he he as he went on. But um, I've never heard anyone express a real active dislike for him. Um, yeah, because I was talking to this person about last year's, last week's episode, the Richard Gere episode, and... Um, you know, this, 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 this person saying, hmm, yeah, well, I kind of felt that way about Harrison Ford. and I was like, what? Sacrilege, sacrilege. Um, and it, OK, so look, maybe maybe that gives me an opportunity to move on to the, the topic in hand. And. Yeah, I said orientation. Now, where has this come from? Well, primarily, it came from pissy Lego. <laughs> yeah, I'll say that again. Uh, pissy Lego. That's right. So, today, earlier today, I was passing through one of the rooms in the house and I was, just found myself going, sniff, sniff. What's that smell? Couldn't see anything around that seemed dodgy, um, and I kind of was okay. No, don't know what that is. I Have to move on. And later on today, my daughter uh, had one of her friends here, and they were playing. And I came back into the room, and they were just playing. This was it was the, the the you know the TV room, living room, and I was like, that smell. And my daughter was like, Yeah, yeah I can smell it too, and. I was like no I'm gonna find what that is now and I got down on my hands and knees and I was kind of sniffing around and the guys had pulled out a container of Lego uh, that had been just up against the wall and I was like oh my god this Lego stinks and I just sort of tipped the container slightly and I could see pool you know yellow liquid pooling at the bottom of the container uh and i was like this 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 lego has has pee in it and i looked over at the culprit and it's our our ancient cat Marlon, the head of marketing and Marlon um is having a tricky spell at the moment our cat is 21 years old that's 21 human years and she was at the vet at the end of last week for some emergency treatment for a bladder infection and her kidneys are giving her grief and she had to get shots and medicine and she had a rough few days over the weekend and she was a bit all over the place and was doing some irregular toileting um something uh I hope I won't be accused of anytime soon but (laughs) um yeah this was a case of some more of this irregular toileting. And she'd obviously gone, that's a container. It's like a very small, very colorful kitty litter. I'll just plonk my butt in here and let rip. And um, she did, and yeah, I just, okay. So look, I took the Lego, I, 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 I washed it all basically and got rid of everything and um that's fine and that was the source of the smell um oh and just a note on lego if you're a if you're a u.s listener you might be um yeah i've always been interested in this uh this kind of uh variance in the the how lego is used in u.s english versus irish english or british english so in Ireland, England, lego is an uncountable noun. We don't pluralize it. So it's, it's lego, like rain, like water, like bread, like money. Uh, we don't say, I'll have three breads. Um, there were seven rains today. We just say rain. There was a lot of rain today. And lego is the same. But I've noticed in America, in the US... It's always referred to as Legos, my Legos, and it's pluralized, and that sounds as weird to me as Lego probably sounds weird to uh, a US listener. But um, there you go, just a little, a little language point. Um, so anyway, pissy Lego. So the pissy Lego got me thinking about poor old Marlon the cat, and I was thinking about Marlon who is probably quite deaf at this this stage uh my wife claims that she has dementia uh that's that marlon has dementia not my wife um she's arthritic Uh, but apart from that you know she's doing pretty well (laughs) Uh, she's not incontinent um but i was just looking at her there as she slept face down on the couch and I was just thinking about this idea of orientation and losing your bearings and not being sure where you are. And I was looking at her going, she's sound asleep and seems to be perfectly content. And I was just speculating on her, her thought processes and how much anxiety she had around not finding her regular kitty litter um, and uh, if it I was wondering if it had stressed her out not being able to find it but then finding the the Lego kitty litter so to speak and using that instead and I mean again you're thinking it's kind of brilliant like the cat still got all her pee into that container there was no pee on the floor um, yeah. and she probably thought well I've done very well actually because I've put my Urine in a safe place, and now I'm going to sleep for five, five hours. Um, but it just—it did. It just got me thinking about the idea of our relationship to the world around us, and also our relationship to abstract ideas and concepts and understandings um, because I do I, I continue to believe that humans are fundamentally extremely relational and it's not just interpersonal relationships I think we relate to you know almost every aspect of our lives. It's, it's a relationship. And even how we think about the past, the present, and the future, that's a relationship. Um, and how we, how we travel amongst the people in our lives, and the, the institutions in our lives, how we travel with ourselves, how we travel with our, our baggage from the past with our hopes and aspirations our, our beliefs about the possibilities that lay ahead in the future it's all, it's all relational and how we think about love how we think about spirituality how we think about faith how we think about death, how we think about desire, how we think about vocation, how we think about innumerable things. It's all relational and it positions us. It positions us in our own shoes. It positions us in our lives because those relationships dictate our responses and our responses dictate our choices and our actions and they inform our our agency because it's based on those positions and those responses and those actions and those you know those things that that's how we come to our our uh, decisive pathfinding choices um, and so what I find myself thinking about when I was thinking about Marlon the cat getting old, dementia, toilet issues and then I'm thinking about my parents also getting old my father has early stages of dementia he may have some toilet issues himself um my mother hasn't been in great health recently either um and there have been some family losses in you know the last eight or nine months so it's a changing world i'm living in a changing world i'm looking at myself and when you start when you start seeing people fade away and you start losing people in your lives, in your life. There, there's an there's a subsequent, there's a consequent loss of bearings, because people, in their own way, can be institutional, and particularly if you talk about parents or significant family members, um, partners, loved ones, whatever it might be. I think, I think they are, they are reference points, they are landmarks and we understand ourselves in relation to them because they occupy a certain space or a certain position in our lives, in our world. And I think that they inform our interiority immensely, uh, for better or worse. And that's, you know, that, that informing is something that we have to negotiate to a greater or lesser degree at different times in our lives, depending on what we're going through ourselves and i think one reason that i continually lean into this this kind of ongoing exercise in internal excavation and reflection and orientation is because i feel in in my experience in in my life that there's always there's always more there's always more to be learned there's always another vain to be mind and it's not it's not in a sort of a solipsistic narcissistic navel gazing way although that can happen of course I think we're, we're all capable of that at different times i just think if you're listening if you're if you're attuned to the changes in understanding that revelations are constantly there waiting to happen um and I suppose, I think that the, the value in the personal mining and the personal excavation is that you're better prepared. You're better prepared <laughs> to deal with that stuff and better prepared to deal with the, oh shit, that's what's going on now. This is this new iteration of me um that doesn't seem to be coping very well with things or that's losing its mind um or that's full of anger or cynicism or despair hopelessness um and i associate those feelings often with a a loss of orientation And I think when big changes happen in the world, in your world, but it can be the world as well as your world, when big changes happen, it's extremely threatening. It's extremely destabilizing. And it takes a very conscious effort to to retain one's faith and to to keep to keep to kind of to keep the ship aright, I suppose is how I'd think about it. To go you know, these are stormy seas. And I mean I, I was swimming earlier today and it was pretty rough. Now, not not crazy rough, but pretty rough. <laughs> That's a distinction, okay? So it was pretty rough, Um, medium-sized waves, but they weren't. They weren't coming in at a a ferocious uh, frequency, so I was kind of able to roll with them, and the temperature was very comfortable. But that's sort of, I I think you know, that's that's the sort of the the metaphor for, for for life. That sometimes the sea gets extremely rough and sometimes those waves are going to swallow you up and you've got to hope you can, yeah, roll with it and get yourself back on the surface. It's not about, it's never about beating the wave or beating the sea or the ocean because that's simply not possible um it's a much greater element than than you are, than I am, than we are. And so the challenge is can I not panic and freak out? Can I not give in to the terror? Or maybe the the, the, the you know the fury or this you know the sense of being victimized and helpless and being the sense of being pummeled by something far greater than I am can we ride it out and go it's going to be okay i've kind of got to give myself over to this for a while but i'll be all right if i can stay calm if i can manage my breathing and if i can keep myself the right way up and that's that's orientation isn't it so if i can go that's where the sky is that's where the seabed is i need to be heading for the sky (laughs) now thankfully I've never I've never been in truly terrifying conditions. I've been in some big 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 water and been thrown around and been, you know, swallowed up and spat out. But I think I could count on one hand the amount of times that's happened uh over the last twenty years or so, which is um it's a little bit more than twenty years since I've been sort of regularly getting myself into into the sea or the ocean or whatever. But uh, I I well as I say I don't take on more than I can handle I try to use I try to use good judgment I mean I marvel at the 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 huge huge water that surfers put themselves into Um, I do find that truly terrifying Um, you know those enormous enormous waves they see them dropping down are the tunnels the (laughs) the tubes i mean that is big water that is scary stuff but obviously surfers particularly surfers at a very high level have uh, an exceptional ability to sort of negotiate that kind of um you know that kind of water those kind of those kinds of conditions and i uh, i take my my hat off to them um I mean, if you you take that idea, if you take that idea of, you know, the pro surfer, you know, negotiating huge water and doing something beautiful with it, which I think surfing um, at its best, that's what it looks like. It really is. It really is a thing of beauty. I'm not sure if that's the, um, is that the aspiration? If when I'm trying to make that a metaphor for what life can do to us, um, I mean the type of conditions I'm talking about—they're not specifically huge surfable waves um, that something beautiful can be made out of. Um, although I'm sure you can find a poster somewhere in a dentist's office that might give you that impression. I think um, I think it's more. You probably won't feel particularly skillful or trained. You probably won't feel you're standing well on your surfboard. You probably won't have any true sense of your equilibrium. Um, And you're probably more going to have a sense of being a sock in a washing machine. Um, But the question is, can you... (laughs) Excuse me, can you become a Zen sock? Can you be a Zen sock in Lotus position? That's right. Can you just go, I am the sock and I will not beat this washing machine? I need to become one with the washing machine and embrace the turbulence um that was part of the uh the subheading description of this podcast for a while uh welcome to the turbulence but uh, i changed i changed my blurb recently it's 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 become a bit more succinct but um i do but i i mean i do believe that that is the fundamental essence of life is, is turbulence it's it's flux um uh, my old friend heraclitus the ancient greek philosopher that was his position all life is flux this river i stand in is not the river i step in is that it yeah um constant movement and there's huge there's a huge variety of the kind of movement. Um, and I've, I've spoken before about my relationship to the sea and swimming and the pleasure of swimming in different conditions um, and sometimes it, that's a, that's actually, it's not pleasurable at all sometimes it's very challenging and it's purely a psychological challenge I mean it's a physical challenge but for me it's more psychological to go I'm going to put myself in rough water and not freak out I'm going to put myself in rough water and retain my my sense of calm which helps me regulate my breathing which helps me have better control over my body so I can focus on having an effective stroke and keep my bearings while I'm in the water and make sure I'm in safe distance shore at all times and they're they're are driven many times, and I mean this winter was a great example. There were several times I drove down to the sea and it was just like, nah, I'm not getting into that. It's just too much. And mostly that was about the conditions, but once or twice it was just about my my sense of resolve, my sense of mental and emotional strength was incapacitated, compromised, diminished. And I had to open the door to, to fear, and self doubt, and just not having any appetite for the fight. Um, and I mean that's like that's something that I've experienced in karate as well. Um, now bear in mind it's been it's been a few years now, three or four, uh, since I've been training in a, a dojo with other. Uh, karate practitioners but over the years sometimes the biggest hurdle when you have to get out on the floor and fight somebody the biggest hurdle is just putting yourself into it with the right headspace Um, because you can psych yourself out very easily Um, I I, I had I had definitely had times when I psyched myself out and wasn't didn't really bring my a game or went in Went in um, holding something back or thinking I could coast or cruise and you always get caught out. And simply, out know, the only reason I would choose to coast or cruise is because my heart wasn't in it. And you can't get away with that. But when you go in and you're fighting somebody who's good and you're going in wholehearted, now that doesn't mean you're going hard. But you're fully committed to being in it. And that can bring the presence of mind. And the presence of mind then can bring that sense of the sports cliche. Well, maybe it's not a cliche. I shouldn't um, undercut it. But of being in the zone where you enter uh, a flow state. And you're suddenly on the other side of it. And you realize, oh, I I pulled some moves out of the bag there that I hadn't really thought about they just happen of course they happen because you've done the training they happen because you've put in the hours and they happen because it's it's in there and something alchemical happens um and it's a that is i mean that's the equivalent of the the surfer going down the tube um or (laughs) that sounds bad I don't mean going down the tube, you know what I mean? Going along the tube, surfing that amazing wave that forms that beautiful aqua tunnel. Just, I can just think of, you know, video footage of that kind of thing and amazing photographs of that kind of thing. I always find it quite captivating. But, um, But yeah, like that idea then of, and I believe this is one of the great, great, great challenges of living well or trying to live well aspiring to live well and I have spoken about this in previous podcasts more specifically but this idea of bringing your full heart to proceedings and I mean we talk about mindfulness and being present but can you bring your heart with you that sense of I am fully here with all parts of my being and my beating loving life embracing heart is at the center of it and it brings the mind and I'm bringing the body and I'm bringing the senses and I am here and I think in a way that's ironically where the mindfulness lies in that attitude not so much um I mean that's how I feel about it I mean and it's, it's less so the the cool Zen mindfulness, which maybe is, you know, brings a certain detachment, um, a certain you know, you know meditative state, the witnessing state. Um, I find if you go wholehearted into something and enter that flow state, which can be in so many different areas of your life, I think on the other side of it, you can realize I was a witness um and it's a sort of a a recall of oh yeah i did that thing and i did it well and i was there and when i express it in those terms it, it may push your your thinking in in the direction of positive experiences um achieving particular tasks or enjoying certain events and certainly that is part of it but What I'm actually thinking about is can you bring your whole heart into the more challenging areas of your life where you're you may be feeling disenchanted, disenfranchised, shut out of your life, you may be feeling you may be going, you know, experiencing grief. Um, as I referred to earlier, you might be experiencing anger, sadness. Because it's at those times I think we can feel very discombobulated and very removed from ourselves. And I know when I'm in in, in that sort of state, and I've definitely had a few episodes of that recently, I find it extremely challenging. I find it extremely challenging. I find a lot of my, 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 my typical reserves of... Um, kind of sang fraud and cool-headedness and you know accessible sort of positivity and resolve they just <laughs> they are nowhere to be seen they <laughs> it's like every friend in the room vanishes <laughs> it's like it's like gary cooper in high noon um know going going from house to house going from friend to friend and kind of going hey uh little help you know there's gunmen coming for me they're coming today this afternoon they're gonna try and kill me any chance you could give me a dig out any chance you could watch my back and nobody does (laughs) and that's what it can be like that's what it can be like you're just you're on your own um, now, whether or not you know the the lonely gunslinger, whether or not that resonates with you, I mean, High Noon is it. It really is great. It's great stuff because he has the chance. He has the chance to go. That's the point. He has the chance to leave. He's just married the beautiful Grace Kelly, and they're, they're getting away on their little carriage, and he knows he gets word they're coming for you. They're coming for you. Those bad men that one particular bad man that you sent to jail, they're coming for you. But here, go, go now, leave. Leave with your beautiful bride. And he just can't bring himself to do it. And he has left but he turns back and goes, No, I've gotta I've gotta face this. I've gotta face this. Um because someone else is gonna pay. Someone else is gonna pay if I don't face it. And this is about me this is my relationship to these guys this is my relationship to the action that i took it's my relationship now you might think i don't know you might say that's sort of a you know a sense of destiny or something fatalistic but i look at it and i see it from the sort of the warrior code um, or a personal code to go this is the only honorable thing I can do. I have to face this thing that scares me. I have to face this thing that could kill me. Um because who else is going to do it if not me? And if I don't face it, I've never faced it. Do you know what I mean when I say that? If I walk away, I never I never I never had that experience. I never stepped up. To prove to myself I can do it, um, and that will haunt me forever. I'll always be looking over my shoulder. When will the specter of that abdication of duty come back to to get me? Um, and on that note, I want to read you. Uh, I want to read you a quote because I, I was thinking earlier. Uh, I mean, or maybe yesterday I was thinking that I was going to do this episode and I was going to kind of look at the idea of despair, um, probably prompted by some of these recent um, depressions that I've had, and that sense of um, profound hopelessness. It, you know, it, it can be. It can be such an assault of, you know, of blackness and negativity and... You know, when when I experience depression it doesn't always have those characteristics but sometimes the really spiky ones they have a way of just stealing every bit of light out of your life. Um and I'm grateful that I've I've got better over the years. Um at not entirely freaking out and not entirely giving in to catastrophic thinking um and it seems to just leave a door open for a quicker recovery where i sort of rebalance and reset but um in any case i was i was looking at sort of quotes around this idea of of despair and hopelessness and i came across a few sort of related ones that i thought were interesting um i might give you two here from uh the yugoslavian author now deceased um, Ivo Andrich or Ivo Andrich who won the Nobel Prize for Literature Um, I think he was uh, sort of at his peak in sort of the mid 20th century but um, here's here's one of his quotes Um, there comes a time when a man finds himself in front of a dark uncrossable abyss which he himself has spent years digging. He cannot go forward and has no way back. Words have failed. Tears won't help. And who would he call out to? He can't even remember his own name. Then the man sees that on this God's green earth there is but one true suffering. The torment ...of guilty conscience. It's very dramatic, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's very dramatic. It could be describing the experience of depression... ...the experience of despair... ...the experience of hopelessness. Um, but I was particularly curious... ...about the specificity of his conclusion... ...that there is but one true suffering the torment of guilty conscience. And when I was talking about Gary Cooper in High Noon before, and that idea of, if he didn't turn back to face the bad men, um, he would have been haunted by that for the rest of his life. His sense of personal failure or, or cowardice or allowing someone else to face the consequences of his actions even if there was an injustice in those men coming for him even though they were still bad men on the wrong side of the law and he was the righteous sheriff Um, i was just thinking about that in terms of you know the guilty conscience i should have why didn't i i owed it to myself i owed it to other people perhaps i owed it to the people of that town how can i look at my my young bride my beautiful bride Um, and expect her to honor me and respect me and love me if i'm walking away from this fight now it's a bit of an old school um quite maybe it's quite an alpha male position but i think what's interesting about high noon is that it's clear that gary cooper is scared so in that regard it's it's more complex it's more nuanced it's more interesting and the the, the the cowardice and maybe the lack of um, gumption or moral fibre um, amongst many of the townspeople he turns to for help. I mean that's part of the story as well. It's a bit of an indictment, um, and yet I don't know. Are you know are we to judge them? Or I mean, and this is you know again why maybe Gary Cooper becomes you know the hero of the piece because he just takes it on the chin because uh, he's not judging people he just is get he's just going to get on with it um but it's you know he he's he he would definitely appreciate the help um anyway i i originally went to high noon in my mind because i was saying that the you know the nature of the depression is you've got something difficult to fight and all your pals turn their back on you um now i do not i do not literalize that in my own life I've I'm blessed I am blessed with great friends I'm very very lucky I do not take my friendships for granted and I've got some great in, in this area actually the area of you know dealing with depression occasionally or personal kind of crises emotionally or whatever I found my male friends have been enormously supportive and articulate and they've been absolutely you know brilliant um now, here's another quote. Here's another quote from our friend Evo or Ivo. Uh, I liked this one as well. I saw this one first actually. Between the fear that something would happen and the hope that still it wouldn't, there is much more space than one thinks. On that narrow, hard, bare, and dark space, a lot of us spend their lives. I quite like that. Because that, that to me, evokes this, this tension between despair and hope, between pessimism and optimism. Um, And this idea that we occupy, we occupy the space in between that were neither. Well, I, I, I shouldn't speak. I can't speak for everyone else. <laughs> it's never stopped me before, but it's unusual for. Maybe it's unusual for the you know the the average among us, the mean. It's unusual for us to spend all our time at one end or the other. I mean, those are extremes, but most of us hover somewhere in between. The this area of something bad will happen. Um, some some future dire possibility that I believe could be a reality in my life. There's that, and I have a relationship with that, and my fears and anxieties are very much in that area and then there's this other belief of yeah but but what if this what if that doesn't happen and and there's this really positive outcome Um, and (laughs) we have no (laughs) there's no true control there's no true control over either of those outcomes both of those outcomes are possible but we're living in the now of you know this is the this is the space that I occupy, and each day will push me one way or the other towards those possible outcomes. But I just can't. You know, it, it's so impossible to truly predict anything because there are so many unknowables. There are so many things that are out of my control. Um. And. I suppose in a way to, if you're, if, you're, if you're striving for control or order or a sense of agency in your life, a sense of I can determine outcomes, I think the, you know, a strategy, a method is to, to, simplify, to simplify things in your life, to simplify uh, the amount of things you have to do, the amount of people you have to deal with, um and set yourself very particular achievable tasks that involve very few other people <laughs> and so that lends that lends itself to becoming a hermit i'm just going to i'm going to sit here and face my wall of cds and i'm going to count the CDs all day long, and I'm going to do it again and again and again, and it'll just be me, some space, the wall of CDs, and no other distractions. And maybe that's a maybe that's a road to happiness. Maybe that's a road to contentment. Maybe that will give you a sense of control. Um, I don't know. I don't know um, there was someone <laughs> there was someone else I was looking at as well um, Eric Fromm Eric Fromm's a psychologist and, uh, I think he's described as a as a neo Freudian um, and some of his thinking chimes with me I must say um, and one of his ones that came out Again, I was just looking at kind of quotes in this area of kind of despair and hopelessness. Uh, I saw one that jumped out because it's something I've discussed before. And he said, the quest for certainty blocks the search for meaning. Uncertainty is the very condition to impel man to unfold his powers. Or presumably to impel woman to unfold her powers. Um, I'm not sure if you agree with that, if you're a female listener. But um, yeah, the quest for certainty blocks the search for meaning. Uncertainty is the very condition to impel man to unfold his powers. Well, uncertainty, if you cannot tolerate it, will drive you to quest for greater understanding. But if the search is for certainty, and I've probably discussed this and used the word certitude um, and very closely followed that with the word dogma, I'm highly, highly suspicious of one building one's life and one's belief system around the idea of certitude or the idea of dogma and using a belief system as a weapon with which to beat others um often it's the the foundation upon which um bigotry thrives, and I distrust it intensely um in a very fundamental way. I do not trust it uh so I thought that was quite a nice quote as well. um Eric Fromm had some other other nice stuff um he said that freedom freedom was a fundamental part of human nature Um, and that the sort of the contradiction that humans face is that they must simultaneously seek for closeness and and for independence so embracing this idea of the social animal but also embracing the idea of the desire to be Independent and confidently existentially unique and isolated um, to strive for oneness with others and at the same time for the preservation of his uniqueness and particularity. And he says the answer to this paradox and to the moral problems of man is productiveness. So I don't know what you make of that. I mean, productiveness, that might sound like a very conservative um, conclusion. But I like it. I actually like it. And I often, I've often i often found myself talking about myself. <laughs> That's the end of that sentence. I've often found myself talking about myself. Now, I've often found myself referring to my own... Um, my own sort of life juggle and talking to friends or family members about the things that I try to do and my I'm happiest when I'm being productive I'm happiest when I'm producing things and creating things that are connected to the things I'm interested in and uh, and the things that I care about and the podcast is is the ongoing sort of exercise in that area uh, as well as these other things that I do um but that's one of the reasons I find it hasn't been that challenging to me to carve out this time once a week to do the podcast because I get a huge amount out of it. Um to sit down and think in my seat and speak and share and explore particular thoughts or inklings or rumblings or whatever it might be. Um and I really agree with that, that sentiment from Eric Fromm, this idea of the importance of connectivity, living side by side with the, the imperative to be able to be alone. Um, because I think that is a really valuable um, pathway to, to self-preservation. And again, not in a selfish sense, but to, to keep a strong sense of one's self, um, which I think opens the door to individual critical thinking um, and a sort of a, a confidence, not an arrogance, a confidence born of being comfortable with oneself and knowing oneself um and that is something that has to be cultivated but it can make you I'd, I'd like to think that it gives you the opportunity then to be far more comfortable with other people because you may not feel the pressure to um to conform in an unthinking way um to you know, to participate without sacrificing individuality um you know because because otherwise i think he can become sort of iconoclastic and you know the sort of performative rebel outlaw kind of position um which i think is ultimately quite juvenile um (laughs) i don't know anyway um okay I'm jumping around a bit, but there, you yeah, know, the, the the through line is there. The through line is there. We're talking about orientation, and the loss of the loss of our bearings, the loss of our landmarks, the loss of our touchstones, um, and how that can impact us very severely. And so, what can we come back to? What can we return to? You return to what you think you know. (laughs) And that's not an accent. It's not an accent that I use that phrase. You return to what you think you know. Because if I say you return to what you know, that's a certitude. And I'm dubious about that. I'm skeptical about the certitude idea. But we return to what we think we know. So I know I think I do better if I can calm myself down, if I can get into my breath, get into my body, if I can reflect, if I can not speak until I know what I have to say, if I can move myself away from this energy or these people or whatever it might be, if I can make sure I'm doing the fundamentals of self-care like making sure I'm sleeping well and eating well and exercising making sure I'm not neglecting the things or the people that deserve my full attention um, all of that kind of thing you come back come back to the basics come back to the things you believe work the things that you believe keep you on the right path Um, and I'm going to give the rest of this episode to Fran Drescher so if you've been following the news in Hollywood there has been a writer's strike for I think a couple of months now maybe a bit more and last weekend the actors union SAG-AFTRA they decided they would strike as well um, in solidarity and predominantly, you know, mainly the strike is around the issue of, of streaming and AI and ownership of image and intellectual property and credit and royalties um, and the studios and the big streaming services are on one side of this debate and everybody else is on the other. The writers the actors everyone who works in the industry from top to bottom um, they're on the other side of this and Fran Drescher is the head of SAG AFTRA I think is the name of their union the Screen Actors Guild and uh, I think the one is like t- t- television and writers I'm not entirely sure You can look it up. It's grand. Anyway, Fran Drescher is an actress, was an actress who was particularly prominent in the 90s. She had a series, comedy series called The Nanny, which I think ran from 1993 to 1999. I never watched it. I was sort of aware of her as a figure from, you know, American pop culture. Um, uh, But she... And she was also, I think, in Saturday Night Fever back in 77. So she must have been very... I think she was only 20 when she was in that um, as one of the crew of kind of John Travolta's, you know, pals and the girls around. But, yeah, as I say, Fran Drescher is now the head of the Actors Union um, over in Hollywood. And she came out with a great speech um, at the weekend, uh, at the end of last week, and fundamentally, she was saying um, she couldn't believe the position of the studios and the, the streaming, um, the streaming giants, that they simply were completely out of touch with reality. That they didn't want to kind of budge an inch, and she was completely um, incensed by their intransigence and their arrogance, and. She just came out and gave this great speech to the press to explain. You know that was it. That was the tipping point, and that there was no hesitation to go on strike. And it was about solidarity. And it was about sticking up for the people all the way down the bottom of the Hollywood pyramid. And it's well worth checking out. Just go and look it up: Fran Drescher union speech, or Fran Drescher Hollywood speech, or Fran Drescher actors strike speech, whatever. Um, if you care about workers' rights, if you care about trade unionism, if you care about solidarity, uh, you'll get something out of it. And she just spoke with really um palpable passion and anger, and she was just very articulate and expressed herself really, really well. Uh and I was talking to I was talking to my cousin, um how are you Fionn, if you're listening, I was talking to my cousin about this the other day, and it just seems that this is another um it's another example i think of the current worldwide climate of these huge organizations and kind of superpowers in one aspect of life or another who are flexing their muscles really hard and i don't know if it's part of this very late iteration of superannuated capitalism and it's the sort of the 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 sense of it's always darkest before the dawn because there's something that feels very unsustainable about the way the world is going um and the way so many normal people are getting left behind uh with ever um ever increasing wealth disparity um and economic Disadvantage, and people just being shut out and the people are in the position of power just seeming to not care now i don't know if it's the you know if it's if, if it's this kind of late desperate ugly cash grab um i don't know so i just so i'm not well enough informed and i'm not an economist and i can't I don't have a sense of the future, but it just feels like everything is pitched uh, into a very attritional state at the moment. And with this idea that I've been talking about in in this episode of orientation, I just found myself thinking about Fran Drescher going, I don't recognise what I'm facing. I don't recognise this absolute unwillingness to come to the table in a meaningful, respectful way and this horribly arrogant, dismissive position of the studios and the streaming services. And so her response was to orient herself back into the foundation of activism, and strike action and solidarity um in an absolutely clear-eyed unambiguous unequivocal way um i thought it was brilliant i thought it was brilliant and i think that's that's ultimately what i'm talking about the loss of orientation when you find yourself all at sea you've got to fight your way back and find find the sky find the land orient yourself and stay calm stay resolute and know that you're going to get to a a safer place that's it that's all I've got so there you go you'll have to decide if that all hung together um but uh yeah really that started with pissy lego so um i'm not sure you'll get it on any other podcast (laughs) but you got it here okay thank you so much for listening you can uh as always throw me some love on social media You will find the relevant links or buttons or icons wherever you're listening to this. If you're so moved, so motivated, you can support this show financially through the Patreon link. That's patreon.com forward slash the clear out. And I would welcome anything you could give. And don't worry about it if you can't. But spread the love. Share this if you enjoyed it. Leave a comment. Rate it. All of that kind of thing helps and I'd be very grateful for any proactivity you could demonstrate. Okay, that's it until next time. Thanks again for listening. Go easy now. Just don't do any irregular toileting and uh, in general just, uh, just mind yourselves. All right, all the best. Take it easy. See you.